0: good morning everybody it 's that time in our assembly this morning as we think about Easter today and the resurrection of jesus let 's get our Bibles out and I want to begin with a poem that I heard in a sermon by a, a very famous preacher in the United States, Tim Keller, several years ago. It was written during World War I by a minister in England by the name of Edward Shelito. It was written during a time when there was a lot of, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. A lot of death, a lot of fear, and and people thinking that the world was out of control. And the poem goes like this. If we have never sought, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn through the dark, our only stars. We might have sight of thorn pricks on thy brow. We must have thee, O Jesus, of the scars. The heavens frighten us, they are too calm. In all the universe we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us, where is the balm? Lord Jesus, by thy scars we claim thy grace. If when the doors are shut thou drawest near, only reveal those hands, that side of thine. We know today what wounds are, have no fear. Show us thy scars, we know the countersign. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a god has wounds, but thou alone. Today as you know is Easter. On this day more than 2000 years ago, Jesus who had been crucified experienced the resurrection. And as you know, resurrection means more than just resuscitation. He did not Jesus when he was resurrected did not just hit death and bounce back into the life that he knew before the cross. Instead, he went through death to life on the other side of death and that's how he conquered it. That's how he conquered death. And because of God's love for humans, The resurrection is shared with us. Now that's something that Christians say all the time, that God is love. And one of the big reasons for that is that Jesus' best friend on earth says that very thing. The apostle John in 1 John chapter 4 says, "Whoever Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then John, sort of in anticipation of some objections. God is love? How do you know that in a world like this? God is love? Then why is all of this happening? Continues his thought. In verse 9, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Life without love is a hard life. It is a distorted life, and examples of that distortion is all around us. Humans, as you know, were created to be relational creatures, and the best, the best of our relationships are shaped by love. Love matters. Love matters profoundly, so much so that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13 that without love, we are nothing. But human love, the human variety of love, at best, is broken because humans are broken. Think about John chapter 19, where Jesus is being sentenced to be crucified. The crowds that have gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover and are now there in front of Pilate do not love Jesus. They choose Barabbas instead. Instead of choosing Jesus, they choose Barabbas, who is an insurrectionist and a life taker and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a rebel. And it's at this point that Paul, after choosing Barabbas, Uh, Pilate takes Jesus, and there is a flogging in which those Roman soldiers, so adept at torture, nearly beat him into the ground and beat him to death. There's the flogging and the crown of thorns that's fashioned and then pressed down upon his head until the blood begins to trickle down his cheeks. He is stripped down, he is taken to a place of execution, he is nailed to a cross. And when we think of crucifixion, what are the words that you would use to describe it? Unpleasant? Yes, absolutely. The crucifixion is a nightmare. Horrific? Yes. Cruel? Yes. Hideous? Yes. The crucifixion in the ancient world, and even if it happened in, in places around the world today, it would be considered a nightmare. These words do describe crucifixion, but they do it inadequately. To say it like this is to say that the sun is bright when in fact the sun can blind you. It's like saying that the sun is is hot when in fact the sun can cook you. The word cross alone in the ancient world was enough to make the toughest man, enough to make the hardest man shudder in fear. God is not love because our love for Him is so great. Our love betrays like a Judas and our love denies like a Peter. Our love is broken because we as human beings are broken. God is love because in love, He inclines toward us. He bends down to us and this love is no better illustrated than in the days that are leading up to Easter and the resurrection. When John begins to write about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he begins with a very famous story. We call it the foot washing. and In John chapter 13, that chapter begins with these words. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father having loved his own who were in the world he now showed them listen he now showed them the full extent of his love now we know the story of the foot washing in the days leading up to it the disciples have been arguing over who's going to be the greatest there's no humility in this group there there's there's only this 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 jockeying for position And Jesus knows that he is about to die, and the disciples need one more reminder, a lasting reminder of what it means to be a part of his kingdom, to be his disciple. And so he gets up from the table, from the head of the table, and he strips down and wraps a towel around him. And he begins to go by foot, by foot, by foot to wash their feet, the the vilest and the grossest of, of duties for a slave to perform in the ancient world. What is he doing? Well, what he's doing is illustrating in one part, Philippians chapter 2, in the incarnation. And he's not counting equality with God in Ephesians 2, something to, to cling to, something to grasp. But he empties himself, becoming a man, and not just a man, but a servant. And not just a servant, one who is learning obedience, not just general obedience, but obedience unto death. And not just any death, but death on a cross. He is going to be crucified. It's a humiliating death. And it's because of his love for humans. And so here he is in John chapter 13, leaving his proper place at the head of the table, going to the least place at the table, that of the servant performing the grossest of duties. He is illustrating what he is about to do on the cross, and he is also illustrating why he is doing it. He's showing his love, the full extent of his love. His love will never fail as described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. The crucifixion, Jesus is helping them to understand. The crucifixion, was, which was the worst case scenario, the worst nightmare they could imagine, was actually going to be in His place, an act of sacrificial love, of self-sacrificing love. And this is very much in line with the way that God reveals Himself, himself throughout all of Scripture. God's actions reveal A deeply loving father from from Genesis to the the maps. Think about what happens when a baby is born into a, a family and all the activity that takes place in a select part of that house called the nursery. Walls are painted and the carpets are cleaned. And not just any bed, but a certain kind of a bed. A crib is bought and brought to the house. It's put together and put in a select place in that room. And there are special lights and decorations that the baby may never fully appreciate. They are placed on the walls and the door and sometimes on the ceiling. Stuffed animals are placed everywhere. And this is the kind of thing or something like it that loving parents do all over the world because of their love for that little human being that is going to live there. Now think about Genesis chapter 1 and 2. When, when God is creating the heavens and the earth and He is putting the new human in the middle of it, What has he done? He has created a place, a garden, for the human being not just to exist and survive, but it is a place of beauty and a place of pleasurable tastes. It is a place not only for him to survive, but to thrive and to even flourish and to grow as a human. And then, as you know, in Genesis chapter 3, it all goes wrong. And God begins to move in history through Israel, then through the remnant of one who is Jesus, when God, in love, becomes man. Incarnation. God in the flesh as a man to put it all back together again. And at the beginning of this passage that Prentice read, we read that the arm of the Lord has been revealed. In this section of Isaiah, he's talking about what the future he is going to create is going to look like. And you sometimes wonder, what does it mean when you read about God revealing his arm? What does that mean? Well, it, it, it means maybe lots of things, but one thing in particular, it means that God is rolling up His sleeve and getting to, to work the way that we would if we were building a house or building a fence or working on a car. We would roll up our sleeves and get to work. And His work, God's work, requiring Him to roll up His sleeves will be redemption and justification and sacrifice leading to our reconciliation with God and our redemption or, or our restoration from from sin to the kind of human that we were always meant to be. The cross is what it looks like when God rolls up his sleeve in love and gets to work in creation to make it right once again. In fact, the language of original creation, Genesis 1 and 2, is found all over the place in John chapter 19. As, as God completed his work on the sixth day, Jesus, on the sixth day, the Friday of crucifixion, while hanging on the cross, utters the word, it's finished, it's complete, it's done. And on the seventh day, as God in creation rested from all of his activity, all of his work, on the seventh day, there is silence, rest. And then on Sunday, the first day of the week, while it is still dark, God is at work. Remember the words of Genesis 1-1. While it is still dark, God is at work resurrecting Jesus, the firstborn of the dead. And in the resurrection, we see the full extent that John talked about in chapter 13 of Jesus' love. Question, what would you, had you been there in the ancient world 2,000 years ago, what would you have seen that previous Friday? You would have seen what looked like your world out of control. You would have seen darkness in its greatest hour. The creator of the universe has been stripped and mocked and beaten and crucified. That previous Friday would have defined more clearly than any other moment in history, any other day in history, what is truly unjust, what is truly cruel as evil exhausts itself in beating the only perfect human being into the dust. Hope on that day was not disappointed. Hope on that day was shattered. No one on that day would have seen any good. What they would have seen is a disaster. But then three days later, the resurrection. Death has been defeated along with the sin that caused that death in the first place. It's all been defeated. It's all been vanquished, and that victory is shared with us. You know, Psalm 23, which is one of the oldest psalms in our memory, describes a shepherd leading his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. And as he goes through that deep, dark valley where there's danger and and deadly things are present, it is his rod and his staff as he goes before us as a shepherd. That's what gives us comfort in that moment and in that place. And then on the other side of the valley, it is the shepherd who prepares for us uh, a banquet in the presence of our enemies. He is sharing the victory that He won with us. Heads are being anointed. It's in the presence of our enemies. Our our cups are not just filled to the brim, but to the place where they can contain no more. They overflow. And then the psalm ends with the words that surely goodness and chesed, which is God's unfailing love, will pursue us all the days of our life. Through the filter of the resurrection, we see the cross and understand what it accomplished. But the lingering question is, why? Why would He do it? Why did Jesus do it? Why did you do it, Jesus? All the pain, the suffering? The answer is, God is love. God is love. The resurrection is the revelation, the demonstration, the very definition of love. Because of the resurrection, we know what Jesus did on that Friday and why. So does the resurrection and God's love have any place in the world such as it is today with pandemic, growing death tolls, disease, fear, and losses? The answer is yes. For a Jewish person in the third decade of the common era, the world had looked like it was out of control for a very, very long time. Babylon in exile and Babylon had given way to Persia who gave way to Alexander the Great, who turned into the Ptolemies, who turned into the Seleucids, and now Rome was present. And there had been lots of blood. There had been lots of it. Crushing disappointment and lots of questions. Lots of questions about God in the place of Israel, the state of creation. Who is in control? Does God still see us? Is God still active? Does God still love us? It was tempting then, as it is today, to, to think that the world is out of control because the evidence points to it being out of control. And that's what it looked like on that Friday in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. The Messiah, Jesus, some believe that he was truly the Son of God, was being crucified before their eyes. The world looked like it was out of control because it looked like Rome was in control. And then the resurrection breaks out and the world is never the same because Christ died according to the Scriptures. God's work is not always easy to see, but we trust that He is at work and that His sleeves are rolled up and He is fulfilling every promise in Jesus. So what about the pandemic? What about the global distress right now, today, that we're experiencing? Does the resurrection and God's love have anything to say to us right now? And the answer is yes. The questions of my my finite mind are never going to fully understand the answers from an infinite mind but i can see in the death burial and resurrection that god is working in his creation that god that that on the cross on friday and the resurrection on sunday it tells me that god cares enough to suffer with me because he loves me enough to suffer for me again the resurrection tells me what god is doing it is the cross that tells me why I'm loved. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to thy throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak, and not a god has wounds, but thou alone. Peter tells us that it is by his wounds that we have been healed. And Paul, in marveling in all of his self-knowledge of who he is, and what he's done, marveling at the fact that the Son of God loves me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father, you are great beyond our ability to say it, to know it, but we trust it. And in your greatness is a greatness of love that not only satisfies our heart and the longings of our soul, but also transforms us into the people that you always intended for us to be. And for this, we are grateful. Thank you for this love that makes us complete. And thank you for this love that helps us to survive in this world that seems to be covered up with so much bad, so much evil, so much hurt. To know that your sleeves are rolled up and in love you are putting everything right. We look forward to the day when it is complete. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the God of peace grant you peace and strength on this day. And may he grant you grace to understand the greatness of his love for you. Amen.